we're looking at who we click or clash with in life on today's show with Dr. Ali Walker. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host. Today is show number 317. It is wonderful to have you here and I am very excited about today's show because group dynamics have always fascinated me. I've always worked in education, training, motivation, development. Uh, I'm a coach after all, both health and executive and Uh, I have always been fascinated by certain teams, certain family dynamics, how sometimes people are born into families and seem like the alien in the family and, or, you know, other people gel like two peas in a pod in the same family. And uh, as Dr. Ali Walker shares today, she actually talks about her second son literally somehow having bypassed all of her genetic material. Uh, We have a lot of laughs and we go into a lot of detail about things like frequency and intensity of communication and how that plays out differently for each of us and how we can start to see other people uh, in a whole new light no judgment, not even any friction, but actually appreciation and compassion and all start to get along a bit better. And so I just feel like it's a bit of a balm for the uh, hyperpolarization we see developing in our world. Uh, social media has, by logarithm art, put us all into these silos where we're always confirmed for our points of view and our personality types and therefore other people become more and more foreign. But there is no other, as Ali explains today, and I think you're really going to enjoy this show. So Ali was actually a criminal lawyer by trade uh, but was more interested in why people became uh, criminals uh, and the justice system and how uh, people could do better in their lives. And that was her clue to actually leave that profession and develop uh, her skills as a, a life coach, an executive coach, and then go on to get a PhD in group dynamics. I can't wait to unfold uh, this this show. And if it's something that you want to look more into, her new book, Click or Clash, is out and uh, I would highly recommend reading it. It's a real eye-opener. Now, of course, we can't do this show without our wonderful sponsors, our major sponsor, Oz Climate, uh, with their brilliant Winix air purifiers and uh, the dehumidifiers in their range. You have 10% off all year round for another year, folks. And a lot of people got their first units last year. So this means you've got a bit of time to now complete your collection, especially if you have a slightly bigger home and need more filtration or dehumidification. I know it's the East Coast here, February, as this goes live. And boy, do we need some dehumidification right now uh, in Sydney. So I am cranking my dehumidifiers uh, daily. Uh, to keep everything nice and crisp and dry and to avoid mold growth. But actually something that I invested in recently was the five-stage filter from the Winix range with the dedicated pet filter. 
Some of you may know from my socials that we rescued a retriever teenager last year, 14 months old. Boy, was that a change to our little group dynamic of three, let me tell you. But now a few months on, we're really enjoying that dynamic uh, and uh, I'm not really enjoying the amount of shedding and dander and I'm pretty excited to uh, to now have the uh, the five-stage hair purifier for our living space uh, where Buddy spends most of his days. So that is our first sponsor, 10% off, code is lowtoxlife, head to ozclimate.com.au. You can even write them an email or pop them a phone call and ask about your floor plan, where you live, type of climate, and what kind of unit's going to be best suited to you. Uh, we also have, of course, the wonderful BioFirst joining us again with this super versatile kids remedy kit to kick off the year as kids are heading back to school. Lots of lurgies, lots of bumps and bruises and scrapes and cuts. Uh, and they have actually given us $20 off their fantastic little um, multi-award winning essentials kit. So it is comprised of the ultra-sensitive skin rescue lotion. So think eczema, dermatitis, irritations, hives. Uh, it's actually just an incredible product. Uh, the self-heal salve, which you would have heard me talk about last year, maybe it is basically your first aid SOS salve, uh, really helps with the healing of cuts and, um, and so forth. And then you have the kids Manuka soother syrup, uh, if they've got a sore throat or if they're just feeling a bit under the weather, it's packed with immune supportive, uh, herbs and plants. Uh, and then you have the kids Manuka defense oral spray. So that's a topical spray. And what I love about these sprays is so different to growing up in the eighties with those revolting, uh, throat and cough syrup, um, ugh. Uh, which you can, of course, still get today. But once you've tasted something like this, which actually tastes like a delicious natural cordial with that beautiful Manuka honey, um, you can't go back and your kids will actually not uh, be getting upset with you for suggesting a spray or a syrup if they're under the weather. So head to the show notes or just look up the kit on their website, BioFirst is the name of the brand. They're a wonderful Australian uh, family business and you have $20 off that um, s- sort of back to school pack, if you like. Normally $130, $110 for us. Uh, and I've got the link where you can just click straight to it from the show notes or from the bio in our Instagram. Okay, let's actually now start studying group dynamics and how we can get to know ourselves and the people around us better. Enjoy, guys. Hello, Ali. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me today. I am very excited for this conversation because we're going to be looking at a few things that people grapple with, have questions around, and uh, often talk about between friends to try and unpack but to have a pro come in and actually help us look at the science of what's going on in group dynamics and different dynamics that we encounter in our life, I feel super appreciative to help us cut to the chase. So can I just ask why you decided to get a PhD in group dynamics? Like, <laughs> how does something like, like that actually eventuate? Does someone what reach out? What issues must yeah. you have had <laughs> to lead you to want to understand? So so I always thought I'd be a criminal lawyer and going through school, uh, that's what I thought 
I would do. However, now that I reflect on it, I remember being in year 12 and umming and ahhing about whether to put psychology as my top preference. So I don't know if it's still the same, but you used to have to put your preferences down for university and then wherever your mark landed. Oh, I think so. Yes, I remember remember doing that. That that was my vintage. And so whatever you put at the top, if you got that mark, that's what you would go straight into. You couldn't change it afterwards if you changed your mind. And I was really umming and ahhing, which is interesting. Like that's that's an interesting um, inflection point. Um, back there because obviously some part of me knew that that was a passion but because I didn't like science I loved the humanities the English the words the relationships that kind of thing I ended up uh, going towards law and I studied arts law and then you're on that conveyor belt in a way anyone relate to that that you hop on this conveyor belt and suddenly your life takes on this uh, journey that you didn't necessarily plan for but I ended up working at the DPP as a criminal lawyer for the state of New South Wales and um, again really excited to do that work but part of me was "Mm, not really sure as I went through and then I ended up being quite traumatized by the nature of the work. I was Um, gonna say it's one of the most traumatic areas of, of law. Well, yeah, because I'd done a lot of paralegaling uh, in the corporate law sphere and just did not relate. I did not connect at all. So I actually felt quite lost at that time. So if anyone is in a, a, a moment in their lives where they're feeling quite lost in their work or their career, I I would always encourage, I don't have concrete advice, but just encourage to follow that voice, that desire. Um, So there was always some part of me going, "Mm, not corporate law. Okay. So then it has to be people-based law, family or criminal, because I was drawn, drawn to the people. And then I did the criminal law and I thought, oh my goodness, there's, this is really traumatic work. That actually sowed the seeds for this connection model that I ended up creating because I had a very high intensity reaction to the courtroom stuff, meaning that it seemed to affect me in a way that it didn't necessarily affect my colleagues or the police who are, who are my colleagues at the time as well. I remember saying to people, how do you cope with this? And they would sort of say, cope with what? What do you mean? And and it didn't say, it was almost like water off a duck. They were like the Teflon that it sort of went through and then just passed them on by. Whereas it hit me and I I could I held on to it. I absorbed what was going on. And so even back then, again, I thought to myself, wow, I'm having a reaction that other people don't seem to be having in this context. I ended up leaving that role. Uh for a variety of reasons, but I wanted to know more. I thought I'm my my learning journey has not ended yet. And um, I don't, I've now realized, I think I'll probably go to the grave. <laughs> my learning journey has not ended yet, but I ended up going back to study. I wanted to understand more about human behavior, about systems, complex systems. I also realized in that job that justice isn't necessarily served or achieved through the criminal justice system, that it ends up being this cycle and generation of trauma where people are traumatized, then they're often re-traumatized. And then what you send people to jail and re-traumatized all over again, that obviously we know about the complex disadvantage that a lot of offenders uh, suffer from. And so I ended up realizing, hold on, you know, you know, it's just that whole typical naive, you go out into the world with all of these ideals, and then you actually immerse yourself in these systems and think, what is going on? And this is not at all what I had expected. So went back to university, again, totally naive, I'll just read about it to understand it, you know, not, not the answer either. 
that led me to the PhD in group dynamics. Uh, I'm also one of five children. So at growing up, our family home and family dinner table was loud and highly intense and laughing, crying, you know, lots of big emotions, big feelings. And that was just Monday. That was just- <laughs> My mum grew up the same way. And and it's funny, a couple of people in our family who are all made up of quite small nucleus families now, one or two kids at most, um, find that really intense when um, people talk over the top of each other. Mum's like, I can't help it. I grew up with four siblings. (laughs) It's just how I am. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to chase that out of myself. Absolutely. And what you just said sums up where we come from and how we develop our connection type so we're in these family systems and we're all grown if you think about it like in different gardens so we're planted in different environments with different soil and we're all in different gardens and we start growing up out into the world and so yeah this a lot of high intensity the group dynamic always interested me because obviously I had been raised in a very interesting loud group dynamic and uh, and then the, the experience of being the criminal lawyer. I started studying coaching as well, uh, the executive coaching, the life coaching. So I was doing that at the same time as studying at university and doing the PhD in group dynamics. So I almost felt like the interest in people and psychology had then melded with this interest in, in complex social systems. That's how I came to be studying group dynamics. And then when I finished that, I was lecturing at university and um, and through that research developed this connection type model where I realized all of us are going out into the world and connecting in such vastly different ways, but most of us don't really have a lot of emotional literacy around that connection. So it's almost like we're in pinball machines and we're the balls. And so we go out into the world to meet people, talk to people, have relationships, friendships, romantic partnerships and we're just balls dropped in a pinball machine and every new person we come into contact is another person that sort of pings us off in the next direction and there's very little awareness or intentionality about what is going on and it's mainly because I think a lot of us intuitively pick it up over time and you see people with greater or lesser degrees of awareness uh, because of experience. So people learn the lay of the land of the pinball machine. Like, oh, yes. okay, so when you're over there. So there's a lot of people with incredible intuitive awareness and and particularly people who professionally uh, work with people. So obviously the caring professions, psychology, nursing, um, health, education, a lot of these people that I speak with, they will demonstrate incredible intuitive awareness of what's going on in group dynamics. But again, if you ask them to articulate what's going on, they can't necessarily do that because it's an intuitive awareness, an intuitive gift or skill. So not to say that no one has that emotional literacy, but I wanted to create a shared language for us all so that we can then identify what's going on, what's happening, and be able to talk about it in a way that's that's palatable and easily recognizable to everyone. So to take us out of that pinball machine or at least give us a bit of a bird's eye view. Yeah, so interesting. And then when you talk about the the kids, um, I recently read Gabriel Mate's um, Scattered Minds and what I found really interesting about that book was um, the different times that you're born into the different group dynamics. So being a third or a fourth or a fifth child born into a two-child family already 
uh, maybe child one was traumatized by child two coming along and totally ruining their dynamic with their parents. And like, it becomes this super complex network. And like you say, we've got no emotional literacy taught to us really at any point. Um, certainly not in the school system. Lucky if your parents decided to kind of have a sniff around and then have better emotional literacy and get those tools and then pass them on to you. But it's quite rare, right? And even then, it is it is rare. I think it's becoming more more common now because we're all becoming more aware of what's going on. But even then, if you have, say you have the most incredibly self-aware parents who have done their own work and they're really open and they want to work with you and talk to you about these issues really openly, it's still a sense of, an individual it's not happening at a social level we're not it's not, it's not a cultural movement it's very much still an individual or or family-based exercise and there's still this sense of us fumbling in the dark because you might be aware but then you're still going out and having relationships with people without that level it's almost it's not like we can all say well we all did maths at school so we have <laughs> a basic level of awareness <laughs> yeah. of what's going on when you add two and two um, we don't have that fundamental awareness and I think that's fascinating that if you think about the research on relationships and how important they are, they're actually our most fundamental psychological need. And so we we are driven to have relationships in the same way that we're driven to have food or water, and yet we just don't have any awareness of what's going on a lot of the time in those relationships. Wow, yeah. So is that one of the reasons we overthink a lot of things? Because we're actually trying to unpack and get clarity? Yeah, there's a great quote. Oh, it will come to me at some point. I can't remember who said it, but he talked about trying to change a complex system is like trying to work on the machine of a plane while it's in full flight. So I think the reason that a lot of us overthink is because of that pinball machine experience. So you're trying to work out what's going on while you're in a moving machine and you might be sort of on the way over there. And you, so you're trying to come up with all of this information and awareness on the fly. And so that's why it can feel like overthinking uh, because we don't really have an, a, a shared awareness of what's going on. Again, it's like being in the dark. So I liken this. So, so with the book, that I've written, it comes with a free personality assessment that tells you what your connection type is. So yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to, sorry, you you finish because I want to ask you about yours. Oh, right. So Mm. your preference for how you move about the world, I liken that to being almost like an emotional mirror. So, you know, if we, we have physical, actual mirrors that give us our physical reflection, they, that can be problematic if someone gets lost in it. Absolutely. Right. But isn't it great to know if there's something in your teeth or not? Isn't it great to be able to just, you know, check yourself and then go, great. Okay. I'm ready to go out. I liken this awareness, this connection type awareness to being almost like an emotional mirror. So you can get a snapshot of, okay, this is what it's like to be in a relationship with me. This is what it's like to meet me, talk to me, work with me, love me. So I know what other people are experiencing when they're with me. It gives us external self-awareness, which is actually really hard to achieve most of the time without the help of some external tool. Absolutely. I think of psychometric testing that gets done when you apply for a corporate job. And I remember reading some of the results and going, 
wow, that is me. (laughs) They got that right. Yeah, get that right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's um, it's really fascinating to increase your own self awareness because it helps also you be more aware when something's not quite right um about a a personal accountability in that space as well which I think the world needs a whole lot more of um you know what what am I bringing to this space what am I bringing to this conflict how can I be someone who's a part of the resolution goal of this conflict um instead of you know fanning the flames and I mean that's all very useful right and absolutely just navigating relationships with people, having the awareness of what we're bringing, what emotional energy we're bringing, what it does is it takes the judgment out of those relationships in saying, you're reclusive, you keep to yourself too much. We can then say, oh, okay, so you, you're a low frequency connector. You feel most at home and most comfortable when you're in your own company. That's just your connection need. It's not personal to me. It doesn't, not making a comment about me and our relationship by living out your need. It just enables us all to have that insight into not only us, but into others and then not take the behavior of other people so personally. Mm. So you say you're a light type, high frequency, high intensity. Can we have a bit of an overview of the types so that we can sort of get an idea for how one arrives at their type? What I love about the model is that it's so easy to explain. And then hopefully with one explanation, you can then walk out into the world and then start reading the connection needs of other people instantaneously. So there's only two elements that this model explores. One is frequency or how much human connection someone needs. The other is intensity or what type or your bonding pattern. Okay. So how much connection do you need? What type of connection do you need? The the how much question, the frequency question, people would be familiar with extroversion and introversion. Very similar to that. um, But it's literally just about the hours in the day you like to be in company with other people. So a really easy way to figure this out, if even if you've just met someone, is to look at how much they speak and the pace of their speech. So if somebody is speaking a lot and quite quickly, they're telling you, my connection need is high frequency. I am an extrovert. I feel most at home in the company of other people. I feel most like myself in the company of other people. But if someone, and I'll try and act it out, but yeah, you can yeah. tell I'm high frequency, I can't help it, right? <laughs> you can tell immediately, you think, okay, she's high frequency, she's a lot. So if I'm mid-frequency, then I like to be on my own for 50% of the time and then with other people for around 50% of the time. So this is the most common. Most people are mid-frequency, uh, mid to high frequency. So already if you're a high-frequency connector, you might be thinking, ah, oh, okay, so those times, well, I remember at high school, I would say to my best friend, we would have gone out that night and the next day we'd go for breakfast or coffee. And then I go, okay, what are we going to do? Do you want to go to the beach? And she would, she's low frequency. So she would then say, I need to just, I need to some time. <laughs> and then I would think to myself, well, I've got to go find someone else now because I'm high frequency. I'm like the Labrador of human connection, right? So I've got to go find the next person. Whereas she just needed time on her own. So mid-frequency communication is much more just a, a slower pace, still talking, still smiling and friendly. And I'm going to wait a little bit more to see 
how you are or what you're doing in the connection rather than kind of bombard you with my connection. So that's mid frequency. Now I'm going to go into low frequency. There'll be a lot more pauses because I'm more reserved and I'm communicating that my comfort is actually not in talking necessarily. It's probably more in reflection and being on my own. Already you can experience how I, and for me when I do that, I honestly do feel sedated. I feel like I've, I'm being someone really, really different. It's uncomfortable for me. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to demonstrate the difference between a high-frequency, mid-frequency and low-frequency connector. So we are, we're sending out signals all the time to people about what belonging looks like for us. So if someone is more reserved when they're talking to you, they're not. that's not a comment on you. It's not like they're going to then walk to the next person and, and be really high frequency. It's more around their needs. So we're just always signaling what comfort looks like to us. So that's frequency. That's how much. The other element is intensity or what type of connection do you need in order to feel bonded or close to someone else? If you're a high frequency, sorry, if you're a high intensity connector, you connect through meaningful conversations with other people, engagement, sharing truth, sharing feeling, understanding each other, wanting to know about the other, but also wanting to share yourself. That's very much high intensity. That's talking. If you're low intensity, you prefer to bond through shared positive experience over time where there's no real pressure to talk, fishing, surfing, seeing a movie. You're enjoying. Oh, like most guys connect. Well, in fact, my research has shown that typically men tend to be lower intensity and women tend to be higher intensity, but we didn't mm. need research to tell no. them. <laughs> no. Um, but I think it's useful for all of those couples that might think where I, I've, I've interviewed couples and, and a woman might say to me, he never talks to me. Well, it's not personal to you. He probably doesn't share in that way with anyone. He And, and with someone like that, you're much more likely to connect with them or get a softer, more sensitive side of them. Maybe if you are engaged in an activity that they love. So, and that's the whole, um, you know, parenting advice that you often, it's great to have conversations with your child if you're driving in the car. Yeah, so that's how I chat to my boy the best. Yeah, not looking both at looking other. out at the same direction. Yeah. yeah. Or going for a walk. Um, so, again, what you're doing is reading his connection, picking up that he's lower intensity in his comfort and then meeting him there. And so, again, that's just about bonding and needs. So, you can see already how if you go on a date, I remember a guy asked me out once and he said, um, do you want to go and see a movie? And it was, I didn't know him that well. It was sort of very early on. And of course I said yes, because I really liked him. But I had this strange reaction like, but we won't know each other any better at the end of that. Why would you want to go and see him? Like, do you like me? Like, Why would you want to go and see a movie with me? And if I had the model <laughs> then, I would have been so able, easily able to articulate he's low intensity. He wants to spend shared positive time together. He's extending an olive branch and saying, come and spend time with me. I'm high intensity. So I'm saying, why doesn't he want to talk? 
Why don't you want to just sit down and talk? Like movies are for later on when you know each other really well and you don't have anything else left to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that gives you the the idea of why people are so, even at school pickup. You know, you can go and meet people at school pickup, and some people really want to chat, and other people are just in and out. And I think the biggest takeaway of this work is we just can't take anything personally. Uh, so. To your question about me being a light type, light types are high frequency and high intensity. So extroverted, like a lot of human connection, like a range of human connections, so not just with the same person or people, lots of different people, lots of different social groups, and very animated, very engaged, very social. That's a light type. So you would have you would know people like that. Now, just me talking to you. I'm picking up that you, you, so we all have an orbit. You're not exactly the same person throughout the day, obviously, like there'd be different social contexts where you might be a little bit more extroverted, a little bit more introverted, but speaking with you, I'm sort of picking up that you are um, high intensity because you wouldn't have a podcast if you weren't um, and you're mid frequency. So I'd call you a dawn type. Now a dawn type is what I want to be when I grow up. So a dawn type (laughs) is is someone who you you connect by shining a light on the highest potential of the person you're connecting with so very aware and you love people but you're not the light type that's like you know out and and in everyone's face and extroverted you you have to read the social environment and you might even have moments where you feel almost introverted like that you can go into low frequency to get solace um, but then you enjoy the warmth of human connection as well and need have needs around that. So, so for me talking to you and meeting you, I absorb like I'm absorbing your dawn typeness. Um, and and my mom was a dawn type as well. I love dawn types. I I recognize the sort of love and connection that that dawn types offer. Um so when you when you start internalizing this model, you can go out into the world and meet people and start picking up their signals of what belonging looks like for them. And then you have a choice. You can choose to mirror that person or match them in belonging, which is basically saying, I am offering you your greatest need. I'm going to help you feel like you belong. Or you can decide to just be completely who you are and so in meeting you I could either lower my frequency a little bit to meet you where you are or go nuts in my sort of lightness and and make that choice and and whatever choice you make is up totally up to you and it's fine and it might change through the day as well Um, you might be with your best friend and decide that you really just want to go for it and then you might be in a client meeting or you might be at work or you might be with other friends and feel like you your frequency might go down a little bit. Um, we don't change as much as we think we do. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Even and in the subtlety, it's still within your type. You know, yeah. If you move throughout the day and you think, oh, now I need to withdraw, it's still, you're still moving quite in a small way in your type. Yeah. You you're definitely picked me right for the the high intensity I'm not interested in things that aren't super meaningful, passionate, enthusiastic. Uh, I don't do blah at all. Um, And, in fact, it actually sucks the life out of me to be around that too much. Um, And, uh, yeah, low to mid for sure. I need a lot of solo time. 
uh, to to show up with that intensity, I guess, if if um if I'm now unpacking your model a bit more uh, with some self-reflection. And and so is there another whole part of the space? Who are the low intensity, yeah. low frequency yeah, yeah, people? Yeah. So okay, so low and low mm. I call the green types. Mm-hmm. So basically the strong silent types, the people yeah. who are actually, so I've met some green types who might be close. And just remember that the, the model is a whole, it's a, it's a four quadrant model, which is a circle. Mm. So you can actually be a green type on the extremities, like further away yeah, got from it. the center, mm. which will give you more intense qualities in, in the same of, as all the quadrants. So if you're quite close to center, you will be more adaptive you'll be more like the other types. Whereas if you're green and right down the bottom of the model, then then your qualities in connection will be much more pronounced and extreme. So a green type, low frequency, low intensity, very reserved, quite nonverbal potentially. So one word answers, not as comfortable in conversation because that's not how they connect. Some green types say they still want to be in social groups, but they're just happy to watch. They're just happy to sort of sit back and listen rather than directly participate in the conversation. Uh, I was giving a workshop once to a group of green types and I said, you're the opposite of my type. What's it like? Tell me what it's like to be a green type. And one guy said, it's really peaceful. You should try it. (laughs) (laughs) They're just... It's almost like if you think I made the the reference to the light types being like the Labrador of human connection. I was going to say lab retriever. I've got a retriever and and that for me is like the, yeah, let's play. Let's yeah, do stuff. So that's, yeah. that's light type. Absolutely. Green types are more like the cats. They're just pretty cool, you know, really self-sufficient, keep to themselves. They might have moments of tenderness where they want to kind of curl up and, but just happy to be a bit more reserved, self-possessed, a bit cool, you know. And and I used to think, again, this is that pinball idea, when you don't know this stuff, I used to think that everyone really wanted to be a light type. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like it was a striving thing. Oh, I wish I was more like that. but And maybe some secretly do and it's such a shame because if you actually knew that there were types, then you'd know that there was nothing wrong with you. It's like recently going through an ADHD midlife diagnosis, which was absolutely no surprise once I started unpacking the whole situation. But at the same time, I have come to a place of uh, a way greater awareness, if you like, of the divergent spectrum of our human brains and how powerful each and every different way of seeing the world and different part of the brain being used to solve problems, et cetera, is um, and how it's such a shame. Like what I love about your types is there's no striving or I need to be more like this or it's actually pure acceptance. And I think the world would be a way happier place if we went, okay, so that's how you operate best. Like let's harness that. Like how can we help you be your best self in this world, being that you are this person. Yes. Mm. That's, I, I wish I'd just had that little snippet. <laughs> that I could, If someone says, so tell me about your connection time, I could just press play on what you just said. I would love for every first day at work or school to involve a conversation around, okay, so what's your connection type? How are your connection needs met? 
Yeah, because there are bosses sitting in those meetings going, they didn't say a flipping thing. Like, Can I give you, you know, why are they even here? Yeah, please do. So I'll give you a real-life example of a group I worked with, and it was a work team. The CEO was a light type, so he's high frequency and high intensity. And what I didn't mention before about intensity is that it's also a measure of your how you process information and emotions. So high-intensity types tend to be outward processes. So you explore and experience your feelings and ideas in conversation, in connection with others. 100%. So, yeah, if you're high intensity, you want to get there and go, can I just, can I tell you what happened, what just happened to me? Oh my gosh. And so you're wanting the connection to inform your experience and your processing. So this boss, this CEO, he's high intensity. So he's trying to figure out a work problem in connection with his team. So low intensity connectors, they're inward processes. What that means is that they're processing and reflecting on their own, in their own time, in silence, in quiet, so they can make sense of what's going on. They can make sense of the noise. They don't want another, another person is just going to muddy their process they're probably just going to then either take on what the other person said or get lost in their reaction to what the other person said. It's just for them, it's messy to have another person involved in their processing. So that's the inward processes. And I think that's really useful to have that idea and that polarity awareness when it comes to children and even teenagers understanding the inward processes and the outward processes and the challenges that come with each and how to each type of process. So back to the work example, you've got this high intensity light type CEO who gets his executive team together and wants to nut out a problem. He's got a low intensity person in his team. So they were telling me about this after the fact. And then the low intensity person doesn't say much or if anything in the meetings. And then the next day we'll send a long email to the CEO. These are my thoughts. If you're the CEO receiving that email, he's frustrated. He's thinking, mate, we had a two-hour meeting yesterday when we were all processing, co-processing this issue. I don't want to read your lengthy email the next day when I've already done my processing and wrapped it up with a nice, neat bow. Well, this low-intensity person and, and as a result of the work we were doing together, can now articulate, I wasn't processing in that meeting. I was feeling bombarded. I was feeling overwhelmed. I It was almost just like the noise in the room. So there was no processing going on for that person. But then they went away and processed on their own and had some really amazing ideas and then took the time to wrote, write them down. But no one's doing anything wrong here. There's actually, and that's what I've discovered through the writing of this book and through this research, even in the worst scenarios where you think, how could they do that? When you start unpacking how this person, what their belonging needs are, how they process, you start to realize, oh, it's not that anyone's really being malicious or wanting to undermine anybody. It's generally just that people are trying to get their needs met. And that's exactly what was going on in that working example. As soon as the CEO had the language to say, oh, you're a green type, you're low frequency, low intensity, you've got a lot of amazing observations to share. 
but <laughs> they're just going to come tomorrow. <laughs> they're going to come tomorrow, or or they could come today if this person wasn't forced into a meeting. If they were given the context, or maybe have a a five to ten minute meeting explaining the problem and allowing that person to hear some ideas and then go away. So again, it's just about working with people to bring out their best. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's pretty similar to working out what sport you love or what kind of exercise works for your body best instead of the, using this blunt instrument of the leader deciding what everybody else in the group should connect like. Yeah. And is this... I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to corporate experiences or listening to friends who are still in that space. Um, it seems like team dynamics are very rarely actually got to the bottom of and healed. People would tend to become a non-culture fit or uh, have a constant clash with their boss so they start looking for another job. Um, how do you see the road ahead of us actually starting to get people to a place where we can have multiple different types uh, in the same teams? Because I think that is a, a complex web is always the healthiest web. If you're trying to move forward, create real progress, if you think of biodiversity versus monoculture in nature, like it's always better to have complexity and diversity. But we're not there yet. And it feels like we still very much operate in a people like us do things like this and I therefore want my whole team to look like me um, because that's the only way I'm going to feel like I have a high-functioning team because that's the only type of person I always feel comfortable with and performs the way I want them to perform. Like how do we actually progress past that? Yeah, what you've just articulated so beautifully is what I observe all the time. But the research bears that out as well. When we're searching for friends and co-workers who we can work best with, we tend to look for ourselves. So we look for other people who are a mirror for us. And it's all that cognitive bias and unconscious bias where we're meeting someone, it might be in the context of an interview or another work context, and we think, gee, they're great. And we can't articulate why we thought they were so great, but we're basically looking in a mirror. And so to get that biodiversity, I think it's happening now because there is a corporate or not even corporate government, all, all kinds of big organizations. There's an imperative. There is a social and cultural imperative where people are now feeling pressured to, which is fantastic, right? So whether it's it's out of insight or or being forced to or, or coercion, it's happening. So then the question becomes, how do you deal with diversity? What I've found in group dynamics is that where people are like-minded and harmonious or remind each other of self, they tend to work harmoniously for longer, but then ultimately their outcomes are worse. Yes. Okay. But where there is diversity, there tends to be a very acute period of this is uncomfortable, this is uncomfortable, this is uncomfortable. And what that requires is enlightened leadership to navigate this gauntlet of we're all different. What are we going to do about it? Okay. Just those, that one statement and that one question. It doesn't have to be this 
sophisticated, emotionally intelligent. Like I've seen it done in ways that are actually really, really blunt, you know, or like what's happening here? You know, you're doing this differently and I'm doing this. And it just requires some uncomfortable conversations. But when you're able to navigate this awkwardness, this acute discomfort of being different in the workplace, if you can navigate that and acknowledge it, everyone knows it's going on. The worst part is when people don't talk about it. If you can acknowledge it in some way and then say, okay, but I see you have strengths in X, Y, and Z, and I have strengths in this, how can we work together? The outcomes that are achieved are better than the outcomes that would be achieved if you're working with someone like yourself. And that's ultimately what people need to keep in mind. What's the common purpose? Why are we here? We're here together to achieve an outcome. And if you are hiring people like you, you're hiring an echo chamber of of selves that remind you. You're just hiring mirrors, basically. And if you want to, and I think most people realize that now because we've had enough examples of diverse teams thriving, but high-performing teams or high-functioning teams aren't the ones that are nice to each other all the time. No. They're actually the ones that make light of their differences in connection. For example, oh, my gosh, Claudia never comes to Friday night drinks because she's all over us. She's over us all by then and everyone laughing and Claudia laughing. Like, yes, that's true. I am over you by then. Yeah. And um, saying things like, oh, and? yeah, no, yeah, yeah, she'll <laughs> shut down or or um, he he zones out after 30 minutes on Zoom. He can't he can't talk after that. And, and people making light of that. So having the awareness, having the courage to say, the person hearing that, not in an offended or humiliated way, but just in a way of like, yep, you see me, correct. And yet we're still here, we're still together, we're still working and we're mutually respecting each other's gifts and strengths. That's what it needs. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's the same thing we need to do in in our romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. In but society we- at large, like outside of corporations, I've had so many thoughts with what you've just been talking about. I'm like, I'm in my high intensity mode now needing to unpack it verbally. But the first thing I thought about was the the monoculture versus polyculture health in nature and health in society. Then we were talking about the workplace. Uh, So that was that example. But I think then of um, polarisation as a huge global issue now where people through convenience culture thinking, really. I mean, we think of junk food as convenience culture or all the apps we've got on our phone, but it's also the convenience of social media just playing us ourselves or our biases um, and therefore making us feel super comfortable all the time. And with that comfort comes less fear and then comes more rejection of anything that might look different and then it turns into extremes. Uh, so we have gone poly, we've gone monoculture societally as well. And so that's not healthy at all. And then it got me thinking, okay, so is connection the antidote to the clash and the way to the clicks? Mm, absolutely. If we're thinking of your click and clash concept, which I think is a brilliant one because it just distills everything to something where we go, oh, yeah, I feel that or that. And let's unpack that and see how we might actually become stronger with our 
clashes instead of thinking, oh, you know, that's obviously something I need to move away from energetically, which is ne- not necessarily true I from what we've all spoken about. Comfort in connect- I think I totally agree that connection is the antidote uh, because it is the one, as I said before, it's our, our greatest psychological need. So no matter who you are, you need it in some form. So even the, the analogy I like to give is imagine you have $100 of connection money every day. You need to earn that, that connection money. So all of us are starting from a point of zero trying to get to $100 because if you get to $100, you're going off to sleep tonight feeling nourished and a sense of well-being and a sense of belonging. So it's all about how you earn that $100. So if you're a light type, you'll earn that through lots of conversations, catch-ups, meetings, and, and feeling connected with people. You might do it one-on-one in social groups, lots of different things, and that's giving you $100. If you're a green type, you're earning that through a lot of time on your own. It might be, I speak to a lot of green types, so they'll say things like, uh, by the way, every truck driver I've ever profiled is a green type, um, depending on the wow. kinds of um, professions that you're drawn to, that will inform what kind of connection type you have. Uh, but people will say to me that if they're low intensity, low frequency, they like listening to audiobooks and walking their dogs or a great weekend for them would be going to a movie on their own or going to the art gallery or going for a walk on the beach. They're not looking, they're trying to earn their $100 very differently. So what I would say to people who with the clicks and the clashes and instead of looking for comfort and looking for yourself, it's actually about celebrating the other much more having this mindset of I just want to experience as much as possible can I give I'll give you the um the best example I can think of is when I met my husband he's a chef and when I met him honestly I had the appetite and the palate of a teenager (laughs) you know like I was I was 25 when I met him but I was more like a 16 or 17 year old in terms of my 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 flavor he calls it your flavor when I when I met him he says you have no flavor um and he has taught me now. And so, you know, when you're that that almost childlike palate, I don't eat that. I don't like that. Quite fussy, right? And this is not about allergies or anything. If you can't eat something, you can't eat something. But I was just more fussy. I hadn't, I hadn't been exposed to lots of, I wasn't open to lots of different. Now I can genuinely say to you that I will eat anything because if it's delicious. Yeah. And, and he will often tell me. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I will like something and honestly it's so funny because our dynamic is so not this but when, when we go to a restaurant I'm sure that um the wait staff would look at me and think I'm this kept woman because <laughs> I look at him and I go what am I eating what am I drinking what wine should I order <laughs> they must go, like it's the most I almost enjoy it because it's like role playing this person that I absolutely am not yeah I'm so happy in a restaurant we went out last night and I'll sit there and I'll go what what, what are we getting? Like, look at him. And the, I sometimes see these looks of pity in their eyes. Like, <laughs> like funny. Poor woman. Um, but now I can honestly say that I enjoy the full gamut of food because it's the flavor. And if something's been prepared well, it's going to be delicious, whether it's seafood or whatever. It's the same with people. That's what I would encourage people to do. So to me, it's quite, it's quite childlike to go out into the world looking for comfort looking for self because that's what we do in primary school it's been there's been studies shown that the children will seek out other children who look like them who make them feel 
safe and comfortable because we're just looking for comfort and security and safety. And that's why the best, like to overcome all of these cultural problems that we have, like racism and sexism and put everyone together. Yeah. It might not be pretty. There might be some uncomfortable conversations. It might feel a little bit weird, but that's the only way we're going to get from that security lens I want to feel comfortable to the connection lens which is like I want to understand you I want to know better you're not like me but tell me what it's like to be you and often in my talks I finish by saying we need to move from the golden rule to the platinum rule of empathy so the golden rule is what I was raised with treat others as you would like to be treated and the golden rule is great but the platinum rule is treat others as they would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a hospitality rule as well. I've been a hospitality consultant for, well, gosh, nearly two decades. And um, when you think of guest experience and customer service, like lots of different types of venues, lots of different age staff, and then lots of different types of guests, you know, you, you're having all of these, no, it's absolutely not treat someone like you want to be treated look at the person and think, how does this person want to be treated? That I totally, yeah, that I live by what your platinum rule is, 100%. And in order to to live by that, Mm. you need to acquire a lot of awareness skills to be able to read someone to work out how they want to be treated rather than making all these assumptions based on what you would want. And so I think, again, that experience that you've had in hospitality, I I should add that to the list of professions that are really good at reading the room. Um, But teachers are the same. A lot of mothers are the same because their profession is actually watching a person and reading what they need. I mean, that's that's the parental, I should say fathers as well, not just mothers. That's the parental brief. Here is a thing. Here is a child that you know nothing about, observe it, read it, understand it to meet its needs. And so it's it's almost like a um, crash course in reading the room. Mm, it's incredible that anyone makes it through, really, when you put it that way. Oh. Um, <laughs> can we, we have we? When do you consider that you've made it? <laughs> when, when can we put out and hang up our hat? <laughs> yeah, no, that I don't think that that day never comes, never, ever. Um, but I want to talk about parenting because there's obviously a lot of parents tuned in today or carers and teachers out there. Uh, and one of the things that I've found really interesting about the transition to high school this last year um, is now my son has like 12 different teachers, not two or three. Uh, and it really stands out very quickly who's reading the child and who just has no no interest in reading the child and just wants to teach here. And if you can meet me here, then that's great. You'll probably do well. But if you can't, I don't have time to get to know everybody in this class, um, which, I mean, this is absolutely not a, you know, someone out there listening who might be a teacher is is being chastised, not at all, because we see this in corporate, we see this in parents, we see this. It's more a literacy or an awareness of like, all humans in how to get the best out of the humans that are in front of you that you've been tasked to support. Um, and and I see it in parenting. Like, you, you know, we were talking about this offline before and I really would love to get into this as well. So maybe we can create a little cue here so that we make it. 
um, is the the idea that like some kids we really gel with that we have and then other kids we feel like we've given birth to a complete foreign species and like they're a complete clash and you know how do we uh how do we navigate these situations where we might be teaching someone and have this small group of kids that's frustrating the crap out of us and we have no idea how to help and we frankly teachers don't get given much time to help these days either they're totally pushed to the brink so you know how do we fast track a a sense of greater peace and, and greater capacity to help kids as they grow, whether we're parents or carers or teachers, feel happy in this life as they grow in these classrooms or in these parent dynamics? So I have two children, as I was telling you earlier, um, the, my first, both both boys, my, my oldest son came along and he was like a mirror. So I recognised him. It was just a lot of recognition. And I think, as we were talking about before, recognition makes us comfortable. In a way, even even recognizing the bad traits, you still go, oh, I've seen this before. I know. I feel equipped. I I feel I'm not out of my depth here because I I at least know, I know what I'm working with. And my husband and I had this um funny approach with the kids, especially when they were younger, where we'd say, "Your gene." If if there was something, if something came up, we'd go, "That's your gene. You have to deal with that." So. <laughs> Um, so whoever was um, responsible for passing on that gene that the child was acting out had to actually go and intervene when they were um, engaging in that behavior. But my second son came along and I honestly feel, do you know that Catherine Zeta-Jones movie where she was going through the red lasers? You know, Oh, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, I feel um, like he did that. With, John with, Connery, wasn't it? John Connery, yeah. Like Alcatraz like, or Alcaraz, whatever that was. Something yeah. like that. They were in some castle and she had to do that. I feel like my second son did that to my genetic material. Mm. He bypassed <laughs> the red lasers and he is just this child who honestly remains, and he's nearly seven, remains a mystery to the, to me to this day. He's, he's exactly like my husband, so he's not a total mystery. Um, but so then you, you have this, okay, what this is a challenge. And then I try to explain because I don't know about, well, other parents, my children, who's your favourite? I'm your favourite. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and so I say, I say to them, whoever, I do have a favourite. It's whoever's not annoying me at that moment. So <laughs> stop it. <laughs> um, but, but what I try to explain to them is when you love someone or something, you know, when you love an animal or a place or a person or you, the love is infinite. It's it's almost like you can't articulate it. You can't quantify it. It's one of those unquantifiable things. It's a feeling. So you love your children the same. And my mom used to say this to me. And I go, whatever. But they're annoying. You know, like they're more annoying. Then whether you like something can can really oscillate, and you can really articulate. You know, do I do I love? Do I like? And I think. It's probably the same in a classroom. It's probably the same in a family. There are there are always going to be people who are easier and there are going to be people who are more challenging. So absolutely acknowledge that. It's not about saying um, you're wrong for responding in this way to this child or person because, yeah, they might have some behaviours that are a bit challenging and a bit more difficult. For example, my youngest child used to just, 
like clothing was always optional. He'd just get naked <laughs> and just run, like run out of the, thank goodness we lived in a cul-de-sac at that time. He'd just run to the neighbours across the street. He was just always just, and he would run in shopping centres. He'd just tear away from me laughing his head off. Um, so he just always was a little bit more challenging than my older one who I could sort of say, stand there while I give the lady the money. And it was all a lot of talking and talking through. My second son was like, hilarious. See you later. I'm taking off. I'm 50 meters down down the um the corridor. Um, but he has taught me more. He has changed me. He's transformed me. The second child. So initially, you go, I don't like this because it's not comfortable and it's not what I recognize and it's difficult and it's and then you go, okay, well, what parts of me are going to need to ease or yield here for me to survive this experience? Yeah. And harmoniously as well, like yeah. absolutely. And yeah. so what I had to do was really look at a lot of things in, in myself. And so there's a chapter in my book where I talk about intuitive clashes. When someone triggers you and te- when people trigger us, it tends to be, there is no other, there is only self, right? So you think about we're going out into the world looking for mirrors. We're looking for mirrors of people who make us feel comfortable. We're also looking for mirrors for people to uh, prompt us into healing and into greater awareness and insight. So if you meet someone you don't like, if you clash with someone, just think, thank you, you are a prompt for my healing. If you meet someone you do like, thank you, you are a reminder of, of how I feel comfortable and safe in the world, right? There is always just mirrors when we go out, when we go out. And I think this work is useful because it actually allows you to go, oh, it's very self-involved to only look for mirrors. Why don't I go out really, really interested in the person in front of me rather than just looking for a mirror of self? But anyway, back to the question. So I had to then go, okay, there's an intuitive clash going on here with my child. Um, It's not comfortable. There's something going on. It's not comfortable for me. What do I need to look at? And then when I got down to it, I realized he is the person I want to be when I get everything done. You know, when I've finished my list and when I've done He's playful and he's spontaneous and he's joyful and he's all of these things that I look at and and I think, yeah, well, that's great, but I've got to do this. Don't you realise this and this and this and this? And so if you actually look at the opportunity to go, well, why is this so uncomfortable for me and what can I learn here? His way of love is exquisite. He's, He's very physically affectionate. He just loves to cuddle. He's really about the physical touch. And I'm all about the the talking, the the quality time and like the high intensity. And so as soon as I realized, oh, your way of showing love is through that physical touch and that's how you need me to show up for you. Um, it just, he's got a different guidebook. He's a, He's got a different map to him. And so I think we need to actually go out into the world realizing everyone has their own guidebook and treat others as they want to be treated and figuring out, okay, so as parent, you're not you don't you're not familiar to me necessarily, but you ha- you have a vibration that is unique, and I need to really maybe hone my powers of reading the room and and my intuitive powers to understand you. And yes, that might involve some uncomfortable questions <laughs> of myself. Um, but now I see like what a great what a one of the greatest gifts of my life to have that awareness that that mirror put up to me of mum just be joyful it's not about being conscientious and getting everything done and being you know that's that's what I wanted him to be like mm-hmm. 
And he was just following his bliss, which is what I think a lot of us could probably try to do a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely me. Absolutely. I mean, I think I chat with friends often about raising this next generation and how how much more allowed uh, they are to really um, focus in on what lights them up um, than we were in the 80s and 90s growing up. And like so many as conversations a, now yeah. about unraveling that, all of right. that artist and scaffolding we all put in place because we thought we needed to or should. Mm-hmm. All the fallbacks and all the university degrees that probably didn't even suit the person, but they thought they had to do the thing because they didn't know what other thing to do. Whereas now, I mean, I say to my son, look, you know, follow your passion with tennis, go for it. doesn't matter if you're going to be a pro or not at the end of the day, you could end up having a niche business, helping people correct their serves on YouTube. Uh, Like, you know, there's just so many things you could do. So why would you not do the thing you love? Yeah. Or even the life skills he might learn in pursuing that passion. Right. That's it. And I think our parents just didn't have those tools to help us to feel comfortable about these disruptors coming out. Every generation under us is a disruptor in some way. And I think self-awareness growing as it has in the last sort of 10, 15 years in our generation as we've grown up and we want to unpack a bit more meaning and a, a bit more um, of how we are, why we are and what we can do to to be our best selves helps us uh, broaden that language for our kids, I think, a bit. I mean, how lucky your son was able to have you think, okay, well, this is not just your problem, mate. This is actually some work I need to do here as well. Like, you know. Mostly, mostly Mm. my. Mm. Um, The the trouble, the perceived troublemakers or the disruptors in any social fabric are so important because they're always telling us something. So even the children who aren't really engaged in school, what a great opportunity to go up to them and ask them, what would engage you right now? Like where does education need to go to reach everyone? Um, Because they're just a sign of someone else to come. If you're not reaching everyone, I don't think you can feel satisfied ever. Or, you know, you might not reach that person now, you might reach them later, but just being curious rather than critical. I think I think that is the the key message of all of this work, having the curiosity to understand somebody else's humanity in a way that might actually prompt us to grow and develop. Yeah. That's human connection. Brilliant. Love it. So good. And so, okay, one one last little question then for you. Obviously, go by the book click or clash like that that's a no-brainer but if you were to say okay this is your week ahead have a look at your diary maybe think about who you're catching up with or what kind of meetings you've got or how you're preparing your child for school this term and how that's playing out like can you give us a couple of things to focus on to really embrace these um, group dynamics in our lives and start to um, accept them more or be more curious about them. I love that you've used the word curiosity a couple of times. I think that's so healthy, right? So I would urge people to start writing down their relationship or connection goals in the same way we might write down financial goals and plans or career goals and plans because 
the research says that relationships in terms of your longevity and life satisfaction play the greatest role. So if you want to prioritize something, you need to be intentional about it. The way that we are intentional about something often in our culture is to have a goal about it or an intent, setting an intention, writing down an intention. So, you know, make a list of the people you care about the most. Might be top top 10 people, top five, top three, whatever it is, the pe- people you care about. What are you? What's your intention with that person this year? What are the three things that if you looked back at the end of 2023 and said, okay, how's my connection with that person? How would you like that to be? So I'd have that. And then also looking at your diary, schedule in time. So if you have an intention with a romantic partner to uh, spend quality time with them once per week, and what does your relationship, like I had all this conditioning around date nights. (laughs) My husband and I going on date nights because everyone talks about (laughs) that. And then do you know what I realized? We love going on day dates. So we love going for a a long walk together. So it might be up to the lighthouse somewhere, a coastal walk or something, and then a swim. And so what we started doing when we realized that and weren't just conditioned by normal relationships was, okay, why don't we go and have a long walk and then maybe get an early dinner after that or have a swim? And that was the time we wanted to spend together rather than sitting in a restaurant and just a normal couple. So Think being more intentional about your connections and then scheduling that time in, that's what I would encourage people to do. So with my sons, I know that they both love time with me, whether it's just going to Woolworths and getting them a toothbrush. It doesn't have to be, you know, we're going to a show. It doesn't have to be um, something over the top. It can just be time together once a week, um, making it intentional. Because when you look back at your life, you're going to remember the quality time you spent with people that you love. That's that's just what the research indicates. Like if you want to have an evidence-based approach to love, um, that's how we that's how we measure whether we were happy. Did I spend time? Did I spend quality time with the people that I love? And so, if that's what we're going to look back and think, then how can we look forward and plan for that? Yeah. Look at your diary, and are you spending quality time with the people that you love this week? If not, why not? And if not, where can you add that in? So good. Thank you so much, Ali. I love the book. I've loved this chat. And um, yeah. And find out your connection type. Get everyone to find out their connection type so they know it comes free with the book. So then they'll know yeah. what they need in connection. Mm. That's it. And I think once we know that, there can be so much more compassion as well. Is it have you noticed that working with corporate groups? Oh. It's just almost there's a little bit of it's an eye-opening moment, but a little bit of, ah, oh, not so much, yes, compassion, but people stop taking it personally. It's really, it's, oh, it wasn't me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the whole time I thought, oh, <laughs> that's what it's more. It's more because remember there's no self, there's no, there's no other, there's only self. So when you share this work with people and say, so that's what's going on for them, they go, and they realised that they'd taken something personal that was never personal. So moral of the story is don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Just be you and act, don't react. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.